you're listening to Movies for Decades. Welcome to Movies for Decades. This is a movie podcast where we watch a movie from each decade starting in 1922 all the way to this year 2022 i no longer object to calling it a film history podcast okay it's a film history podcast (laughs) we're still waffling (laughs) yeah you know my name is john alby i'm colin alby i'm helen alby cottingham and no one are the problems in three people don't amount to a hill of beans in this world oh (laughs) jesus I did think we needed a kicker to our intro, but I, <laughs> but okay, we'll make it maybe themed to the movie. Sure. Um, what did we watch this week? We watched the movie that has that iconic line and film that is famous as I teased last time, called Casablanca, starring Humphrey Bogart, Ingrid Bergman, Claude Rains. Claude Rains. It's an iconic movie, and. Um, in context of this podcast, I was thinking about how, you know, this is really only like the second golden age Hollywood movie we've really, well, second classic Hollywood movie we've really covered. Mm-hmm. Like the mm-hmm. l- most recent one we did was the 1931 Little Caesar. Yeah, I mean, but doesn't Citizen Kane count as golden age of Hollywood? It, I mean, it was it's a Hollywood movie during the golden age, but it, that is a not classic Hollywood movie. Oh, okay, like it was this an is outsider. Like, yeah, it was it was it was a kind of an exception to the rule of how movies were made. This movie is like the definition of a studio system movie. Mm. You know, and like. I think one thing I was talking about with the little Caesar movie, which was sort of an early example of the Hollywood studio system flexing its muscles. And like, this is in some ways like the peak. This is what classic studio system Hollywood, this is like the ultimate movie of Hollywood's studio system peak was this movie Casablanca. Mm -hmm. And of course, part of how you define the, the studio systems is it's very anti-auteur theory. There is, ah. it's, it's not, it is like, these, this was, these were, this was a factory churning out entertainment for Americans, for the masses. Yeah, because I don't think I've heard of the director of this movie. Who is an unbelievably prolific director. He directed, you know, his, his, Michael Curtiz is the director of this movie. I've never heard that name. And, and this is a very famous movie and I've managed to never, ever hear that name. <laughs> he, he won Best Director the Oscar for this movie. And it was, he directed, you know, probably like, you know, a triple digit amount of movies starting in the silent era. He was just a guy who was in the system and he was a reliable guy who could make a good movie. And like, but again, like this is, this is the classic Hollywood system. So it's the producer in some ways who you could claim to be the big auteur, which is, uh, I said, how, I better look it up. I think it's Wallace Willis. Uh-oh. So, okay, but yeah. the Hollywood, classic Hollywood system, to me, the way I've always thought about it, it's like a, a factory-produced music, a movie. And it's all like, um, everybody has a very specific job, and there's not a central artist that's kind of... 
And if um, there is, it's the producer who. It's kind of there's a boss, and, and everybody plays their part. And the and this is also back when actors signed a contract with a studio, and the studio basically owned them. Yeah, and kind of. Yeah, and and they could be loaned out like uh, to different studios. Like Clark Gable, I think, was a guy who was I think a Warner guy, but like MGM, like kind of he got loaned out to MGM for for like Gone with the Wind or something like yeah. that. You know, it's, it's that kind of deal had to be brokered. So Hal, way, Hal Wallace is the producer, and producers in some ways were the guys in charge. What, um, what, is there an argument to say that they were the auteur? Why Why wouldn't you call a producer an auteur as opposed to a director? Well, because ultimately uh, Michael Curtiz is the guy who was on set directing the movie. Sure. He was probably in charge of designing the shots and directing the actors. So it's kind of like... It was all, and and but of course the producers and and even the producer is a guy who was hired to like do this property, right? Like, this right. script was picked to be produced, and so then the the studio system hired the producer. You're in charge of this project. Go do it, and um. So and like as I kind of think said in the in the um, in I think the Little Caesar episode or tried to anyway is that like, you know it's kind of good that that's gone in a lot of ways. It's not totally gone, you know. Mm-hmm. It, it, that system still exists to a, large, to a certain, has always existed and continued to exist in various forms all through Hollywood and other studio systems around the world. But, like, it's kind of good that this classic system is gone because you get more individualized art. Thing. Mm-hmm. But this is an example of a movie how there's something to be said for that studio system because it just because because there's no doubt that that classic Hollywood era was just packed with talented artists mm-hmm. and this movie funneled them together to make some kind of awesome movies. Yeah, what I've heard about this movie is like this is an example of when the Hollywood system worked perfectly mm-hmm. and it didn't always work so perfectly like sometimes it must have been a big mess like w- with no real artistic head mm-hmm. of a of a movie like i can imagine a lot of really boring dumb movies came out of that system or just but they I just didn't this, age you know they didn't age and this is an example of like when somehow something beautiful came out of a more I don't know. But uh, when you can by just by committee approach. Yeah, I, I mean suppose. when you can you can just make an all-star team of all the most talented people. Well, I guess that's part of what I'm saying is actually that is what the studio system kind of was. Is in some ways every movie was an all-star team. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's like that's the thing that you can say for the Hollywood studio system is that like every movie was packed with talented people, you know, directors, you know, writers, so in a lot of ways, you know, not every movie really ages that well. But, you know, you watch movies from this era and not a lot. All of them are pretty. Are, there's there's not a ton of just pure duds, you know, like, you know, there's if, especially if you're into watching old movies with your grandmother or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. <laughs> there's some movies that are going to be pretty much every movie from the 40s is going to is going to be a little at least a, a little entertaining. Yeah. Yeah, there's and look be... great. I mean, yeah. the silvers. This was also the peak of like cinematographers knew how to make that that black and white silver screen look gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, the light mm-hmm. was so beautiful in this movie. Mm-hmm. The shots were beautiful. Yeah, it seemed like everybody was a pro. Yeah. yeah. 
something I really liked was the uh, the note clutched in the rain. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, in, in so it's Paris like tears. As he's leaving and, yeah, it's like tears. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. Just to jump ahead, I, I think we're fully not running through plots anymore. We're just I, I sort of saying stuff we like. <laughs> I wouldn't mind um, going through the plot, partly because this movie is very plotty. Um, I wouldn't mind going through the plot. Um, I do think, though, that it's cool that, like, I, it's, I'm glad I kind of saw that with you, John, because last night I watched that, and I kind of, I didn't pinpoint this when I watched it last night, but, like, this movie has that sort of still, that now dying trope of having, like, a note on screen yeah. that you're supposed to yeah. read, but, like, and I was kind of like, yeah, I mean, but this one works, and the reason it works is, like, it's just, it doesn't matter how well you can read supposedly Ingrid Bergman's fancy cursive. It's like the the point is in this drama of the rainstorm, like the words are the ink is melting in the rain. It's it's it's, yeah. it's, it's Bogart's heart. Yeah. And you know what something else I really liked in this movie was the intro to Bogart's character is his signature. He's being handed hmm. a check and he's signing it. And then you see his hand signing it, Rick, blah blah blah, and then it pans up to his face. Right, And right. I thought that was super cool. He's to, a in, guy yeah. playing chess by himself in a bar he owns, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> signing checks. Yeah. yeah. So to start through the plot, do you have an overarching thing you want to, impression you want to give, Helen? Um, I mean, just moments, things I thought about while watching this. I kept thinking about how bad it would be if it was made now. Mm-hmm. Um, I kept thinking, like, this would be a fight or a shootout immediately. It also it, would be steamier. Yeah, there would be long, you know, probably unnecessary sex scenes. And, there of course, would... this movie is the full, the production code is in full force. They actually had to cut out some lines of dialogue that that probably were still pretty tame. Mm-hmm. That just made it clear on... Yeah. Some of the relationships. Yeah. So they. The, so yeah. That the the product. The Hollywood self censorship production code was in full force at the time of this movie. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Throughout the time that I was watching it, there were different situations where I was like, "This would be ham fisted and ugly and bad if this movie was made now." And it's subtle and it's carefully presented well, in a way. I mean, maybe too much so because of the code, but there's got to be a middle ground, and I feel like we've gone too far. Like the women that had to sleep with the cat, the police chief, mm-hmm. and all the, you know, just trying to get a visa. There's lots of women that probably have to use their body. That did do that. That yeah. did do that. And, and this so, movie was addressing it. Yeah, and this movie was addressing it in a in a way that kind of made the women seem like they had agency, like they were mm-hmm. carefully making this decision, and they were kind of willing to do it. They didn't like it, but this was how the situation. Where I think if this was made now there would be scenes of like wide-eyed innocent girls being violently assaulted or there would be like vamps coming on super strong with no in-between they would maybe focus on the horror element of it yeah which i'm sure there was plenty of but i think it would have been visceral and disturbing in a way that maybe took away some you know some of the subtlety and some of the reality of like yeah okay this is how we survive and you know i'll just hold my nose and do it and i feel like yeah nowadays it's presented as either like the most horrifically violent thing you've ever scene or the woman's actually in control control and a seductress with no in-between. right and the and the and the reality is probably a, a mixture of both yeah you know and i i think it it's it's tempered well in this movie mm-hmm. but if you're talking ham-fisted <laughs> i just to go to the beginning of the film that's this is true for me for a lot of older movies is uh the part where I'm the most turned off is the beginning where they're like and here's an exposition here's a map and da, 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 da. and I'm just like oh my goodness that always just 
it makes me yawn. I don't like it. And then when I was starting this movie, I was like, here we go with this crap, you know? Like, well, you know what's funny is that, like, I, I, I totally feel you there. That's a that's a dated quality that this movie has. But I have to say, watching this movie last night in that very beginning where it's got, like, you know, newsreel footage of refugees and, like, and, and that actually hit me a lot harder than it ever has. Really? Why? Because... The, that's when this movie came out. There were millions it was actually of, happening. And as of the time that we are recording, mm-hmm. there are now six million Ukrainian refugees. And so those scenes even hit me harder. And and just the general like atmosphere of this movie's story, you know, I was kind of prepared for that to hit me harder because I'm definitely fascinated by the historical context of this movie. And and just. You know, the the reality that, you know, as we're speaking now, there's people who are in Casablancas in Europe. It's a little less intense because, yeah, you know, nobody's they're trying to exterminate them. Yeah. And, and generally they're going to places that are fine, that are like, uh, you know, they're not they're Ukrainians aren't having to, for the most part, aren't having to go to be refugees in places controlled by Russia, mm-hmm. you know, compared to this, which is like refugees fleeing the nazis and they're in basically nazi-ish controlled territory yeah like this movie so a lot of that was actually like very arresting to me this time around yeah i with the beginning of the movie yeah i had done a bunch of reading about the history of casablanca uh, in preparation because i remember that really confusing me when i watched this as a teenager Mm -hmm. and i thought it was vague and they like assumed that you should know because it was happening at the time it was made while this was going on so everybody knew and so I did all this reading and then the opening is literally explaining everything that I had just read up on. And I was like, how did this just go completely through my brain as a kid? Like this made like I still didn't understand why Casablanca. Why exactly are they running away? Like it just all. There's even some of the political intricacies that I'm still a little bit like, I still need to do some reading, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, I'm still this way. Sometimes when I start a movie, I'm not really fully ready to hear a bunch of dialogue (laughs) and pay attention to it fully. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, as an adult, certainly better than when I was a teenager watching this. I was like, okay, yes, there's a refugee crisis. Everybody's in Casablanca, you know? Mm -hmm. So you did some reading ahead of time. I mean, what didn't the movie cover? Uh, I mean, yeah, this the why of Casablanca is because it was a French occupied country and Casablanca was the biggest port city. And there was France was taken over by Germany, but technically North Africa wasn't yet all the way. Well, it was so it was part of all the French colonies were part of the Vichy France thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which is its own was separate ish well yeah so like softly like yeah they kept saying unoccupied france unoccupied france so basically vichy france was so after france surrendered to um the germans after they in they you know the germans occupied basically all of you know in the course of fighting the war occupied most of of northern france and paris and then there was all the rest of france that like basically the the Basically, the terms of the surrender and the specifics, maybe I'm about to say are slightly wrong, but like the specifics of the surrender is like, look, okay, we're not going to, France is not, you're not going to fight to the death, so we're not going to conquer all of France. And the terms of your surrender is you will have a government that is Mm pro-German that like will basically leave you alone if you are pro-Nazi and and you, 
will basically allow you to be officially neutral. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you will be pro-Nazi. Yeah. And and there was enough fascists in France that were like, sure. Mm-hmm. I think there's the one thing I still don't know for a fact, but like in the very beginning of this movie, that guy who's shot. Um, the, yeah, the guy, you know, papers, please. Oh, and he that runs. guy, the very first. The very, yeah. Yeah, very opening scene where he gets shot and he's in front of some like propaganda poster of some French guy or mm-hmm. some bearded, white bearded guy. I did wonder who that was. I'm, yeah. I'm not sure for a fact, but I'm pretty sure. And this is something that maybe people who read the papers in 1942 got mm-hmm. is that I think that was the official leader of Vichy France. Mm-kay. Okay, interesting. Yeah. So, interesting. so this there was political vagaries about Casablanca specifically that made it a semi-safe place for refugees to go because mm-hmm. it wasn't fully occupied. It was technically neutral, and it was a European-ish city with mostly French speakers and a big Jewish population. And yes, there was a concentration camp there, so everybody had to be super careful, but it was less dangerous and easier to get to than pretty much anywhere else. Mm-hmm. And that was, yeah, that that need, that was a hard thing for me to grasp every time I've watched this movie until now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. yeah. Uh, Maybe you're hearing our neighbors. I'm very sorry, <laughs> listeners at home. We're going to have a pump and beat for We're this We're going to have a pump and beat, you know. That's just an added bonus for you. <laughs> um. Yeah. Um. Shoot. It's too bad. It's a good episode we're doing here. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well. You know, these things happen. Yeah. So uh, it takes like 15 minutes for us to even see Humphrey Bogart once. I mean, maybe not. This movie moves really pretty quick. Really, it felt like a long time to me. I mean, me. there's like, a decent. Oh, here he is finally, and then Ingrid uh, Bergman. It was a lot. It was longer. a lot longer. It's like uh, I was sort of faked out. I'm like, wait, is that Ingrid Bergman when he had his like um, his boo his thing, bar. his <laughs> bar, uh, his bar babe? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, I do think we should. I I don't know how much detail I want to go. I can go into this, but that. That first act is like, is is like kind of needs to be enshrined for how to do a first act, you know, in terms of like, because it's exposition heavy, mm-hmm. but all the dialogue is witty and 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 reveals character traits mm-hmm. in very effectively, and um, I think I think I think it's very well directed. I think every performance is kind of perfectly pitched. Where you where every, where you kind of get the whole impression of how cynical and, and everyone is, you know, Claude Rains and Humphrey Bogart's character Rick, you get the whole full sense of how seedy this world is and how everyone, but also you get little hints of of what true feelings everyone is hiding, mm-hmm. and just generally the just the beat 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 of it, and, you know, by the time Ingrid Bergman shows up, we are like fully understand this world that Rick has built that that works that yeah. uh, that functions well and that he's kind of gets to be king of a little hill in this horrible little place yeah yeah and um but then of all the gin joins in no, all the world no. <laughs> she has to show up in his yeah oh and just about the beginning some more things that i really loved was how diverse this movie was mm-hmm. um and you know we've been playing the where's waldo in old movies and mm-hmm. um the actor What's his name? Dooley something. Our research skills, Our are, research skills are, are bad. Could be better. 
Um, um, but yeah, the guy who plays the piano and sings as time goes by was Sam, Sam. Sam was yeah. a classic actor that was in Stormy Weather and was in a bunch of stage productions and actually lived all over Europe and kind of was this guy in some ways in real life. And it was nice to see him as such a prominent character, as such a trusted and beloved person in Rick's life. And then also the woman playing the Spanish guitar. Like, yes, there are refugees and there are immigrants and there are people escaping from everywhere. Here's here's a New Yorker and here's a woman from Spain, seems like. And they all have a job and they all have a place here. And it's this, there's the bartender's Russian and the bar fly lady is French. And it's just... I just thought that was really, really cool how it's sort of showing us Casablanca was an interesting city full of interesting people at this time. It's also like L.A. Hollywood could assemble these people. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And uh... I was a little confused at times because I feel like some of the German characters had a, like a, a fake German accent. Mm. And it was very silly. And then some of them were just like, well, I'm just going to speak in a, a pinchy American accent. <laughs> I was a little confused about who was from where or who was supposed to be from and, where. And also the lady who's like, I'm from Bulgaria. I'm from <laughs> Bulgaria. I'm Bulgarian. Yeah, it was very... <laughs> Very um, the, confused at points, yeah. One interesting thing is the uh, is the main Nazi in this movie, the main Nazi baddie in this movie is is, is German guy Conrad Veidt, mm. who was in Ameri- who was a German actor who fled Nazi Germany with his Jewish wife. Wow, wow. wow. And so he and, and then he goes to America and plays Nazis. <laughs> I imagine there were some complicated feelings, but I'm sure he had he didn't have probably that many bad feelings about playing Nazis Villains. as baddies. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's part of the war effort in a way. Yeah. Like, here I am playing a villain for the war effort. Yeah. yeah. So, um, And do we want to go ahead and talk about the French girl and the crying, even though that's at the end of the movie? It's not oh. at the end of the movie. Well, it's not where we're at well, right so, now. So, you, so um, yeah. Madeline Lebeau, I think was her name. Yeah, the, the, the who, who um, you know, this is the first time I really tracked her character in this movie that mm-hmm. she's sort of a, a woman who I guess Rick, you know, slept with like, I don't know, maybe just once. Yeah. And then he's like, and then, and then he's like, get out of here. You're a drunk, but I'm like, you're a customer, whatever. Yeah. But like, she's an actual, uh, French woman, mm-hmm. like the actress who fled France, you know, via basic- Lisbon. Really? Yes. Like Wait, this she, is her real true yeah, story? Yeah, her real life. Wow. Yeah, wow, wow. so she was, that scene where they're singing the Viva la France or whatever, and she's weeping. She was really weeping in that moment. And yeah, wow. so that's an incredible scene, partly because all, all the people singing in that scene, the, all the extras, were also French refugees who ended up in L.A. Mm-hmm. Huh. And so, and apparently, like, that was a very, like, emotional scene to film. People were crying. Yeah. You know, and because uh, so uh, I think important context, let's make, you know, this is it's easy to kind of roll your eyes at some of the kind of propaganda kind of things in this movie. I say you've become a patriot. Yeah. A lot of that is easy to roll your eyes at. But you kind of have to remember this was a movie that was released, filmed and released at a very intense time in the world. Yes. Let's let's fully explain this scene first. It's a it's a dueling Patriot anthem scene. Yes, Did somebody somebody set this up for us. So at at some point in the plot, they're in the uh, 
the the Germans are off in the corner. They taken over Sam's piano and are singing some sort of German. I think the German national anthem, the Fatherland or whatever. Yeah, yeah, because they definitely sing Fatherland over and, and over again. Yeah, and like and 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 everyone is in. Um, oh yeah, there's another setup that involves this character where after she's thrown out by Rick, she comes back and she's with some German officer. Mm-hmm. And this is something that really has gone over my head all, every time I've seen it before, and even the time when I saw it in my twenties is like. He's with, she's with a German officer, and like one of the Vichy French guards, who's one of Claude Rains's floozy, you know, like uh, not, one of his goons, mm-hmm. accosts her about it in French. Yeah, like why? Basically, why are you with this French guy? And of course, Rick breaks it up. Like, I don't. Why keep, are you with this German guy? Yeah, yeah, why are you with this German guy? I don't care for that. Yeah, and, and, and they yell, and, but. And, you know, Rick goes like, keep politics out of here, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> yeah she's kind of opportunistic. She's just. Mm-hmm. But then she's yeah. like, as you can see, but then during the scene where, where the Germans are. are um... the, the Germans are playing the piano. Mm-hmm. And They're our, shouting Fatherland a bunch. And, uh, our um, sub love interest, uh, what is his name? <laughs> Laszlo. Laszlo. Comes down the stairs and instructs a band to start playing. What, what is it that they sing? My of? French is bad. Haha, <laughs> my French. Le Marzali. Yeah. Le Marzali. So, so um, another thing just about keying on this. this, this, this um, literally this... pardon your French. I just got that joke. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Literally pardon my French. <laughs> but yeah. So, no, actually there's, there even in the scene where the Germans are, are singing the, the Fatherland, you see, you see um, that that French lady, um, she's you know starting to heavily drink again, and, yeah. and like even though her date is is singing along, she's like, yeah, she hates this, and so, and so sub love interest Victor Laszlo, you know, brings politics to the bar mm-hmm. with like you know where he's like sing Le Marzali with Rick's blessing, he, you know, he give the band looks at him, they're like, they're like dad, and he does the <laughs> nod, and then they yeah. sing Le Marzali. <laughs> And everyone sings it, and it drowns out the Germans. And of course, yeah. So it's a it's a powerful moment in the movie. And I think another thing worth noting is, um, let me pull up the lyrics to Le Marzali. Mm, yes. It was a to me. I was like, is this heavy handed or is this beautiful? And I think at the time in 1942 when this came out, I bet people were like. Hell yeah, warring <laughs> national anthems, warring anthems. I, like I'm sure people were like, yes. Yeah. You know? Well, people here's the thing. Fist pumping in the theater. Yeah. yeah. Well, let me do this sort of big picture analysis of what the context was. You know, at the time of what World War II was doing, at the time mm-hmm. this movie comes out in November 1942. Yeah. M- most of northern France occupied. You know, not free by German Nazi soldiers. Mm-hmm. Vichy France in like. Most of Europe was controlled by Nazi Germany. Mm-hmm. Battle of Stalingrad was going, so that so Russia was even in doubt that Russia could lose to, you know, and and then our grandfather, I think at the time this movie comes out, was in England, was mm-hmm. in Great was Britain. Was the Blitz happening? Yeah, I mean, bombing bombings were happening on the reg in London. That's mm-hmm. why his hearing was bad, is yeah. my understanding. Yeah, yeah is, he was, he was in London. So our months. grandfather's getting dodging bombs in Great Britain at yeah. the time this movie comes out, and uh, actually, partly why they rushed production of this movie is that like finally we got in the act in like the summer fall of 1942 by landing in 
North Africa. And so Casablanca was in allied hands and in the paper at the time they got this movie out, which is like score for Hollywood. Yeah, yeah. The Battle Um, of Casablanca was in November. I think it was on November 8th in... Really? Yeah, in uh, 1942. And that was Patton, right? Yeah, it was one of Patton's first gigs and um, in the war. And then like... standing and giving the speech about Carthage. I was there. Yeah, all that. (laughs) Another good movie. Well, another movie. And then... um, (laughs) Another movie. (laughs) A lot of good things about Patton. But anyway, um, so... And then even and then on the other side, Japan was at its like peak of power oh, at this point. Oh goodness in the, gracious. So. so this was like this if you're was in like, America, you're scared. Yeah. If and, and also like this is eleven months after Pearl Harbor. Hmm. You know. Wow. Th- that that is how much you, you know, your life changed yeah, in like, eleven months. I remember how still upset we all were eleven months after nine eleven. Mm-hmm. I mean And now everyone's like, you know, Father, husband, brother, sons are like, are like out of the country. With Patton in North Africa. Or wherever, in Guadalcanal, in, yeah. you know, like at a base. Mm-hmm. So like, this is like an intense, this is like, so that's kind of what's, a lot of what's in this scene. And then also, I didn't know this till I read that, um, that, um, book about the French Revolution. I, didn't, I had no clue what the lyrics to the French national anthem are. Here's some of the, uh. Um, here's some of the lyrics. Let's go, children of the fatherland. The day of glory has arrived. Against us, tyranny's bloody flag is raised. <laughs> In the countryside, do you hear the roaring of these fierce soldiers? They come right to our arms to slit the throats. <laughs> um, and then the, 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 the part is grab your weapons, citizens. Form your battalions. Let us march. Let us march. May impure blood water our fields. Wow. <laughs> Dang. So they're singing this to the Germans in a saloon in yeah. Casablanca. Tears streaming down their faces. Hell yeah. yeah wow. <laughs> That's a, quite an image. Yeah. Yeah. So. Dang. And of course, our national anthem is can be summarized. The lyrics to our national anthem can be summarized to... Um, you see I, that over there? What's I, that? I'm sure glad our purdy flag didn't get blown up. <laughs> you know? Shucks, the flag's still there, y'all. Oh, I just kicked my microphone. Dang. I'll tell you. Anyhow, so um, it's an intense, powerful scene. Just And it's, it's of course, really quick. Um, another thing, yeah, so... Um, and so that that's a really kind of a powerful close up of her tears and and the fact that people behind the scenes were really like emotional singing this because this is also like this comes out less than two years after France surrendered. Mm-hmm. There's no there's we don't know if France will ever be liberated at the yeah. time this movie yeah, yeah. comes out. Wow, you know. So, you know, the so, war is cool and everything. You know, sure. history, politics, uh, but we should probably talk a little bit about. The romance, mm-hmm. you know, that's the, the other of half movie. of this movie. The heart, there's two hearts of this movie, kind of. It's there's the, the war aspect, the refugee aspect, but come on, and Let's some fran- and some broship, yeah, yeah there's some, some friendship, bromance. you know, some bromance on the side, you know, <laughs> but but really, we've got we've got a saucy, saucy romance. To get oh through. man, it is, and like, and it's 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 a it's a great romance. Yeah, yeah, okay. I have romance. had such an evolution about my feelings about this romance. Please go into it. Because 
as a teenager, when I saw this, I thought this was like anti-romance. I thought it was so disappointing. I thought it was so sad. I was like, I don't like that movie because they didn't end up together. Like, wow, what a naive little girl I was. Um, and now, and I was, yeah, now I watched it and I was like, yeah, that's, that turned out how it's supposed to turn out. If you love something, let them go. And it's more complicated. It's there more are adults having big feelings. Yeah, and also, and also, I remember just being grossed out by Humphrey Bogart too. <laughs> like as a kid, like he looks—he's like one of those people that was like born fifty. Mm-hmm. He just looks ancient. <laughs> and I remember trying to do the math at the time watching this when she's like, "Oh, let's see, ten years ago, I was having a brace put on my teeth," and I'm like, "I have braces, and I'm 13." Is she 23? And he's definitely 50. Ew! You know? I actually looked it up because I was like, is this gross? And I looked it up. And so Humphrey Bogart at the time this movie's made is, I think, 42, 43 about. Mm-hmm. And she is like 27. Yeah. So, so that's not even... That, that's not as gross as, as is, a lot of yeah, as some <laughs> Hollywood things, romances. Yeah, I remember that the age gap between them bothered me. And also, like, just my child face seeing humphrey bogart's smoke heavily like pack a day smoking you know case of whatever pack, a day. one pack a day. yeah probably multiple packs a day like he looks haggard he looks oh yeah so like i thought he was just this old man with this young beautiful woman and still i was mad they didn't get together because i still <laughs> believe the love but now seeing this it's like you know as you age you start to understand the appeal of certain actors i don't know if well, other women I think have experienced this as you age no matter who you are, you start to find a certain bit of human grossness attractive. Yeah. <laughs> you so, know? <laughs> uh, yeah. So Humphrey Bogart, though he still looks... Also, you're older now. And you're yeah, like, and you're now. like, mm, that guy is, that's a 40-year-old fox. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe. So, like, I don't know. He was way less gross to me. He was a lot more charming. He was a lot more endearing. He seemed like a sweet, more like nice love interest to me watching it this time. Not saying I've quite aged into thinking that Humphrey Bogart is fully hot. I don't know if I ever will. No, he's a type. He's a type. He's like the very old school masculine type that isn't really my thing. But I could see his appeal finally watching it this time. He's also believably like a badass. Yeah. I I would say that's one thing about his character is that he's believably a guy who is has earned his hard assery in the fact that he's a little bit of a dick. But also it's believe you believe that he's a guy who maybe did run guns mm-hmm. and, and, mm-hmm. and and has been in some war stuff. You yeah. kind of buy the fact that, you know, he that's all very believable. I also think, you know, one thing I just like about this movie that really works is the supporting cast of, you know, there's basically four speaking characters, and most notably Sam and mm-hmm. uh, and and of course the 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 European waiter guy. You know, they all like actually love and respect Rick. Yeah, yeah. You know, they they actually. It's I, it's obvious that he pays them, mm-hmm. and they you know he he. There and, was that line about um, everybody stays on salary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they they love and respect him. They know who he is, and the, they also are on team like Rick's gonna be a good guy again. I I can feel it. Yeah, like that. The Russian bartender <laughs> ran around the bar and kissed him when he oh gave the money God. to them. He's like, "You're crazy, Russian." Yeah, <laughs> I, I really think that this movie does a good job of like making that like uh, you know the the fact that like. They they sell the fact that why he has a hard exterior and and also like it's it's effective that like no but he is a good guy. It's mm-hmm. wartime, of course. His morals are being challenged, and maybe mm-hmm. he's being mm-hmm. he's making decisions that are 
morally ambiguous a little bit here and there you know it's it's a complicated world out there and he's been hardened by it and, mm-hmm. and I, I believe would, it yes yeah i would say i even kind of um my theory is that he's even kind of retired from being a good guy at the time he meets uh he meets ilza in paris yeah. he's just like look i'm just living in paris i've done my adventuring it hasn't worked out i'm chilling here yeah and now i got a romance it's great and then no romance. Yeah, it you could know. have been even more awful. Yeah, that makes it make sense why it was so awful that she left him because mm-hmm. maybe he was ready to settle down. And he yeah, proposed chill. to her. Mm-hmm. Like he was, yeah, like he wasn't the classic guy that's like, you know, squirrely about commitment. He was like, let's get married in Marseille or whatever. He was yeah. being very, it was almost like he wasn't really asking that directly. He's like, huh, we could get married. Yeah. Just checking to see if this joke lands and also <laughs> maybe you want to get married. <laughs> yeah. It was very cute, you yeah, know? And yeah, yeah. I also want to yeah. like express a lot of admiration for uh, like I, I'm glad I kind of watched I came in and watched it partially a second time today because last night I watched that 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 whole flashback scene which is a bold move on this movie's part that we have a bunch of exposition and then we cut to a flashback at the end of the exposition mm-hmm. and I was like and I was kind of like how quick is that Paris sequence like how and like I actually was able to time it this time because I was curious. It's a nine minute sequence. Mm. It's very effective in terms. And I think it really does believably portray their romance pretty well. Yeah. And it's another movie where I'm like a more modern movie, even like a 70s movie would make that a lot steamier of a section of the movie. Yeah. But yeah. I'm not sure how much that would have actually helped the story because you mostly the movie does with those scenes, that montage does just enough to to let you buy the fact that they were in love. Yeah. You and they had a nice thing, sure. you yeah. know. I have something to say. Are you done? Maybe one other just little thing is I just want to express some ex- some admiration for that 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 held close up while as time goes by on on like it's an iconic close up of Ingrid Bergman. I have so much to say about Ingrid Bergman, but let's yeah. let John do his point. Yeah. Yeah, well, to your point about as time goes by, um I I always kind of thought that bringing in popular music into scores and as pivotal parts of movies uh, is kind of a modern thing because that is definitely like uh, the modern film having sort of a soundtrack and when there is a score it's just sort of playing a popular song mm-hmm. the mel- like adapting a popular melody over um, over in the as a <laughs> Through the orchestra, California dreaming. If they're in California, yeah, California ever dreaming, in any movie, yeah, they, that that's. But that was a, a a modern pop song at this time. As time goes by, and it's all over the score. Mm-hmm. They they play that melody through the orchestra, and it's it was interesting to me. I'm like, this has been this is this has been going on a long time in Hollywood to work in these pop songs into the score, and not only as incidental to the movie. I mean, Sam plays it, of course, mm-hmm. but it, it then winds back up in the score, and it was very interesting. The score was very... Yeah, it was playing as he got the um, the visas out of his pocket. Yes, yes. Like, it, it kind to of... motif. Yeah, it bullet-pointed things yeah, that you were supposed to notice. The... And when he was thinking about her, and when she was thinking about him, and yeah. Yeah, the pop music score motif thing it, it's uh it's it's cool to me and it was done beautifully in this movie and i just for some reason thought of that as a more modern thing in hollywood but it goes back probably even before this but it's very notable first here. sound movie is the jazz singer which has 
pop songs. Yeah, yeah, right but it's almost about the pop. True, music. See, it's yeah. true. This I was using this, the pop yeah. music to tell the story. One know? thing is that so the composer Max Steiner, another heavyweight, he mm-hmm. did you know King Kong and Gone with the Wind is is notable. Holy moly! Yeah, <laughs> Max Steiner, and apparently I read something I read is that he was like he he got this gig and he's like. He's like, do I really have to do this? I hate this time goes by. Or he was like, he's like, he's like, can I write my own thing? I don't like as time goes by. And they're like, buddy, we're on a schedule. We're trying to get this movie out so it so, so it can still support topical. our boys. Uh, support our boys in Africa. And he's like, fine, fine, I'm a pro, you know. <laughs> yeah, and Helen, uh, what are your thoughts about Ingrid? Oh Bergman? my goodness! So watching this movie, I was so struck by how simultaneously vulnerable and strong she is and i thought that was an original observation and then that's literally what her wikipedia says she was renowned for playing characters that were simultaneously vulnerable and strong both racked with anxiety and conviction and i was like yep that's exactly what she is and she was one of they said one of the most influential actresses ever she changed the game she had the ability all the directors that worked with her were amazed by this that she had the ability to change her emotion in a second and she had complete control of her face she could make any little gesture like the little chin wobble even her nostrils flaring like she could do she was she could make any she could convey any emotion at the drop of a hat yeah, it's amazing and, the instrumentalist of the face kind yeah. of actors. Well, th- you know. that's the thing is you're you're a lot of your movie stars in some ways. What makes them different from other kind of actors is that they have they're experts on how their face plays on camera. Uh-huh, yes. And apparently, like and she was like the peak of that. And she like was like kind of insisted whenever possible that they film her good side, which is her left side. Uh. Well, she's like, not as bad as Babs about that. Apparently, um, wait, Babs? Barbara Streisand oh, okay. will never let her bad side show. Like, <laughs> but like, and they and and everyone knew how to light her to get you know. In this movie in particular, help her eyes glisten. Her her often watery eyes yes. glisten, and then they know how to perfectly have backlight her hair. Yes, and she probably also was well aware of how she looked on camera and yes. knew exactly how. To, and it's, it's crazy. It must have been so hard to know how you looked on camera because, I mean, now you can just whip your phone out. Yeah. I mean, it was it was so such a rare skill at that point to be so aware of how the camera yeah, is hitting you. She was a you. master of her craft. Yeah. Everyone who worked with her noticed it. And she apparently would fight with directors because she would refuse to do things that they told her to do because she had a better idea. And instead of getting a reputation for being a jerk... They were like so many famous directors and quotes on the Wikipedia were like, yeah, she was right. Her her choices were better than mine. And I I learned to back off with her. I learned to let her do her characters how she knew they needed to be. And it was just like, wow, a woman that had that much power on set and that like and she did hardcore research like for Rebecca. She went to an insane asylum. Oh, she's in Rebecca. Yeah. She went to an insane asylum and like hung out with insane women like back before, you know, nowadays when people do that, she was doing that. Like she was not like method method, but she she was she knew what she was doing. She was a pro with a capital P. And you can see that in this movie. Oh my goodness. The single tear, the the like she's she's mad, but she's also aching. And yeah, she yeah, she's a master and you can see it. It's uh, it's glorious. I, I guess I needed re- more reasons to love Ingrid Bergman. So here we <laughs> <Yeah>. go. <laughs> but I mean I also like I I'm glad we set that up because I just I, I think th- 
that really goes back to my admiration for like that truly iconic just shot of her face mm-hmm. that plays when she asks him to play as time goes by and they sh- they hold on that yeah for, for a long time for a long time it's actually i feel like i interrupted the moment when i walked in the door yeah, yeah. but yeah. i mean they hold on that shot it's an iconic moment and one of the reasons it's so effective is that movie's the movie's kind of breathless there's there's a lot of ratatat talking in, mm-hmm. in exposition yes. up to that moment where she asks him to play and she plays that scene so beautifully, you know. She's, you know, her, you know, her you emotions her coming out. Her emotions coming out. She says so much while he's playing, and in, in, in that held close up. And of course, it's like the most perfectly lit close up in history. You know, <laughs> it's um, <laughs> the soft focus. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. it's it's just it's and it's it's so effective how and and. And then they launch into that. And then, of course, Rick bursts out. And it's just such a good moment. And, you know, the, the cheese ball line of the, the wonderful cheese ball line. Like, I remember it like, you know, perfectly. The Germans wore gray. She wore blue. You wore blue. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. One of the things that one of the things that the screenwriters uh, said, one of the quotes from one of the screenwriters, the Epstein brothers, mm-hmm. the people who brought in on this movie, one of them said, like, yep, this movie has more corn than all of Kansas. <laughs> but when and the, yet it but works. When the corn works, there's nothing better. Yeah. So, yeah, and then I also think, I love how that movie, like, and, and then you get that nine minute, just mere nine minutes from, like, from the gauzy, like, dissolve to the what is what is it what is the big iconic thing in paris the the arch oh um oh, eiffel is, tower no no, no. Oh, the arch sorry what is the arch? what is that what thing is that we are cultured anyway we are cultured the, <laughs> the arch. big concrete thing that made party, by the romans the, yeah <laughs> it was pretty yeah. anyhow so they they cut to, from that cut to like that wonderful like the wonderful way that humphrey bogart th- tosses the note at in the train station yeah. as it rolls away you know, nine nine minutes that absolutely, then that perfectly sets up her coming back in the bar, and that you know, like you, it's just right. You get the you fully are on board with the impact of this reunion, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it's just you got to like. And this is this is this movie like spitting it out. Like this mm-hmm. this is like this this movie's power is kind of either you know if it doesn't have you at this point, then okay, you know. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, so that's kind of, um, and then I guess the rest of this movie kind of like is very much plot, 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 plot to, yeah, the, to the end. Yeah, we haven't at all gotten to the, I guess the real driving part of the plot, plot the uh, the Cacablanca. Yeah, part the Cacablanca aspect. Yeah, the Cacablanca aspect. <laughs> um, you know. I, what, the poor James Marsden guy. Yeah, yeah, the, the absolute. <laughs> Reference to Cyclops and Notebook. Uh, yeah. What is what is his name again? Victor Laszlo. Laszlo. Oh, the, Victor. He, the absolute saint of him, you know? Mm-hmm. When he finds Her out that they husband. had had a romance before, you know? He's and cool he, with it with Ingrid Bergman. He's cool with it with Humphrey Bogart. He's like, he's like since there was no one to blame, I, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, just to catch you all yeah. up. Yeah, um, the, we know that they had a romance and then reveal she was married the whole time to this great freedom fighter, Victor Laszlo. And he who was, she thought was dead. She thought was dead, and he was in a concentration camp at the time. Pretty good excuse, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, as cheating goes. <laughs> no, um, she literally heard he tried to escape and die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she was, you know, yeah. And then she found out that he was alive, and so she wrote him the note that he read in the rain, and she went back to him, and 
here he is with her fleeing Europe and complicated love triangle, wah, 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 the I whole think, thing. I think the movie, and this is one of the things that is criticized about this movie is that the guy who, Paul Heinrich, the guy who plays Laszlo, um, is a little stiff. Classic milk toast. Yeah. yeah, and that like maybe if he'd been able to be a little bit more emotionally nuanced, it could have um, maybe maybe the 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 romance could have had a little bit more the the triangle aspect of the plot could have had a little bit extra. Yeah, yeah he needed to be a little bit upset about that, or just I, a little bit hotter. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> he is, I think, a believable like kind of patrician you know guy who maybe would be end up as a leader of a of a resistance movement across multiple yeah, places in resilient, europe resilient very you, intellectual very, you buy that he yeah. speaks multiple languages mm-hmm. and you know he's, he's got just enough of uh you know the scar helps but i mean you kind of believe that he could be a hard ass even though he's kind of an intellectual you know mm-hmm. so yeah he's a and he's of course source of a lot of the sort of stuff that is sort of propaganda like now that you're back on you know like we our side won't will win you know he's just, he's the source of some of that like that sort of propagandizing that again it's hard to fault you know like your modern ears want to go like here's american propaganda but you want but like as i was going into the context you know there was a time for that yeah <laughs> and yeah. and so it's like he's the source of some of that kind of dialogue He's a symbol of certainly, you know, the badass resistors mm-hmm. in Europe, which is cool. Yeah. So they got to escape. And, and basically, you know, it's a movie in which people are kind of arguing about pieces of paper. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, but um, you know, something I wanted to call attention to about that whole plot was it was weird how civil it was to me. This is another uh-huh. thing where it's like if it was remade now, it would be just action scene, action scene, escape, running across rooftops, car chases, gunfights, like... Because, yeah, they're, like, talking and talking about Laszlo's coming. Laszlo's on his way. He's a freedom fighter. And the Nazis are here with us. And we're trying to catch him. And we're trying to talk Rick into helping us catch him. Mm-hmm. And then in he walks and just sits down. And they just kind of go, oh, and there he is. And whereas, like, I feel like in a modern movie now, they would, like, run over and try to arrest him right then. And it would be this fist fight. Yeah, and- you wonder. I almost find myself wondering, like, so how how does this work? But, I mean, like, I don't know. But they were kind of, like, following the criminal process a little bit. Like, we got to have him on actually something, and mm-hmm. we're going to swagger over to him and intimidate him. Like, hello, I'm a Nazi general, and I'm out to get you, and I, I see you, and, you know, do some little, like, um, you know, bowing up at each other um, in 1940s language. Mm-hmm. But yeah, nowadays, it would have been just an action scene, I feel like. And yeah. Um, and then again, like when he's escaping from the Freedom Fighter meeting and he gets arrested, that's all very calm and civil, too. They just walk in and grab him he's by the arms. He's got a bandage. Yeah. 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 And like. And yeah. The then point it, of this movie yeah. is not like action and thrills, you know, yeah. but it is like intrigue. Yeah. But this was like a very high stakes thing. Like this guy is the leader of the resistance. He is a high dollar target. The Nazis want him bad. Mm-hmm. And they're having conversations with him at the police station about, you know, well, we could give you visas, but you have to give up everybody. Witty barbed well, conversations, yeah. oh, you know. Oh, no, thank you. Okay, bye. We're just going to let you walk out of here. Like, the, I just, none of that kind of thing happens anymore, I feel like. And, I mean. It can. <laughs> um, You know, certainly. Yeah. I mean, Bridge of Spies is a good example. Okay, I haven't seen that. Which That's... is, of course, the one where, where Spielberg asked the Coens to punch up some of those scenes. Yeah. Which is cool. Yeah. But anyway. Oh. Anyway, um, 
Yeah. Um, it's just how calm we ta- and civil all the intrigue was. Should we talk a little Claude Rains, who's terrific in oh this movie? Oh my gosh, Claude Rains. Even though... He's a little ooh, creepy. He's I'm so sorry. gross. Who is Claude Rains? The French police prefect. Okay. Um, oh, yes, yes. The um, the fancy man who's trying to bang literally everyone. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and... Uh, and Claude Rains, great, one of the great character actors, and one he's of been his in literally everything. He's one of his most notable uh, leading roles was, of course, The Invisible Man, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh, in 1933, and he's 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 in is he in Rebecca? He's in like uh, what is that notorious movie? Yeah, he's in another Ingrid Bergman picture. I don't yeah, remember. and you know, just just one of the great character actors, one of the great voices. Yes, uh, definitely. French you set the set the standard for Patrick Stewart to for an Englishman to play a Frenchman, <laughs> and, um, and um, yeah, yeah, he he's a great character. You know, it's good that he's slimy because it makes you know, it's some realism for how that world was. Yeah, the and corruption, like, and of course, the police prefect is sleeping with all the ladies that want a visa is horrible and as repulsive as that is. Yeah. Like, and he kind of like, you know, they. I think the movie does a smart job of him being kind of a mirror of Rick in that, like, he's a guy who is hiding how much he maybe actually kind of hates the Nazis. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, the, and, and certainly is not, you know, he's taking the fact that his country surrendered. Mm-hmm. And because they there's a there's a toss there's a there's a line thrown that he was in the French army during World War One. Yes, yes. So he's a guy who's like dealt with the fact that his country surrendered as as his, his excuse to just be kind of cynical and not giving a fuck and corrupt, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah. And and um and of course this movie he has to, he he gets a con conscience. I mean, you know he maybe has one. It's just he's not as romantic about. Pre- throwing it off his rick yeah you know and um yeah and of course lots of good lines with him um of course the main one being like i i'm incensed that there is gambling here you're winning you sir yeah, yeah. i love it oh, so thank much. you <laughs> <laughs> love it so much but, yeah yeah I, mean, I also like early in the scene sorry mm-hmm. um i i like the setup in the beginning where when he when he kind of pays rick a visit in that, like, their first, their, that first scene in the office together, in Rick's office, mm. where he's kind of going, like, I know about your record. And, you know, again, exposition stuff. Mm-hmm. But one of the things I kind of like about it is that he's doing Rick a little bit of a solid there because he's meeting and kind of, like, priming Rick for his meeting with the, with the German guy. With the German guy. Because yeah. there's not a single question or, 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 like, sly thing the German, the, the, the German officer says to rick that like that claude rains that didn't, didn't already say yeah, so he prepared rick to not get rattled yeah yeah or he gave, he did him a solid by yeah. kind of going like you know like here's what i know and by the way that you know and, and, and sure enough then the, there's nothing new that the german guy says to him and I, I think that's that's a nice like subtle way of you know you think you know it's one of the ways this movie skillfully like has a lot of exposition heavy dialogue but kind of has some things under the surface mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. for that that makes this movie very easy to revisit and of course it's one of the reasons why this movie survived and remains enduringly popular is that it's a pretty easy movie to revisit mm-hmm. you know the the perform you know the the peop, the characters relationship in their world really are are very well realized and fleshed out and subtle yeah yeah 
So I've wanted to hate Claude Rains' character because that aspect of him being He's, a total yeah. hound dog was, again, went right over my head as a teenager. Mm-hmm. Picked up on none of that. And this time I was like, ew, oh my God, ah, that's awful. He's awful. And then, mm-hmm. and yet he's somehow still charming. And like his friendship with Rick yeah. is still really like, really cool and good. Like the way they're dynamic and the way they kind of challenge each other morally and then end up on the same page at the end. And yeah, despite myself. I got my gun pointed at your heart. That is my least vulnerable spot. Yes. <laughs> like, yeah, he's just uh, like, oh, I no woman should ever go near him. But he is so entertaining. And Yeah. yeah. He's he's a he's a he's an interesting good character and you know, and and you know, it's it's uh I mean, he, he needs to be a complicated character. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was a complicated world. It was a complicated and, and situation. That he's symbolizing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess should we go to the very ending of the movie? What, the what, great... else, what else? We yeah, we're come... at 55 minutes. 56. Yeah. It's a good movie to talk about. You yeah, know? yeah, it yeah. gets you going. Um, Yeah, the iconic airstrip scene. Mm-hmm. Who, but what is there to say about it? I, I mean, mean, we kind of covered it. I mean, you covered it. Because, I mean, I, I feel like my teenage relationship with this movie was like... Very much more like, yeah, 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 romance, whatever. <laughs> and and then like and then of course once I see it in my twenties, I'm like, this is kind of emotional, <laughs> you know. And then you know like this is this is this is good. I like this, yeah. you know. And uh, yeah. I don't know. There's not a lot. Yeah, else you're to gonna say. regret it one day if you stay with me. Like- I I guess one thing I was thinking about, similar to what you were saying, is how like you know this. Again, I, I think you, you explained this well about how Ingrid Bergman is able to walk this line. But, you know, she's a woman who has kind of like has two powerful men competing, you know, that that she both loves. Yeah. She lo- and, and like for different reasons and in different ways. And like, I almost feel like, you know, I even kind of go like, like, you're like, you have to do the thinking for both of us. You know, that could have been so vapid. It could have been so vapid. But instead, and, and, it was like, I literally can't decide. And and like my life is hard enough. Yeah. And seriously, it's like, yeah. And, and she's also like, she's got two men who are powerful. And like, fortunately, both of them are like, you know, not they're They're actually, you know, Rick has all the power in that scene. And he he could get absolutely what he wants. And he chooses not to. Yeah. You know, it's good. Yeah, it's really good. And yeah. And how. He decides to give her up because he knows that's the right thing to do. And I wonder if that's a little bit like 1942 marriage politics at the time. I think some. Like, I think this is something the production code looked hard yeah, at. Yeah, yeah. They like, had rules about like he, if you're she, married, she they can't run to, off with with another yeah, man. Yeah, she mm-hmm. has to stay with the husband. So we have to find a way in the script to make it. And it was a little bit like old school. Like, oh, he wouldn't be motivated to be a freedom fighter anymore if he didn't have you with him. Like, yeah, whatever. No, he wouldn't. But um, still, it was like for the cause that he gave her up. So it was kind of a propaganda thing. It's also not just for the cause. It's that, like, look, I mean, probably she's, you know, he kind of more fully understood that it's not just about him. It's about that she was actually involved in the movement. Yeah. She actually was. And if she's with Rick, I mean, Rick's going to be doing whatever random shit Rick needs to do. Yeah, he's going to be running guns. He's He's going to be be doing dangerous nonsense and probably, and like, but, you know, like, the implication is, is that, like, she's. She's like helping Laszlo in lots of ways that like, you know, 
knowing movement people and being involved in that kind of movement yeah, politics one of the insiders. is part of she's one of the insiders yeah. and like and then with Rick, she's just going to be his girlfriend yeah. while he's adventuring. Yeah. And I think Rick gets that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, yeah. It, yeah. Oh, I, I did have a tidbit on the here's looking at you kid. Yeah, line. which annoyed me the whole movie. So please tell me. It's the as you wish of this movie. Yeah. He's saying I love you, but he never says I love you. He says, here's, here's... looking at you kid. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a random phrase, isn't it? Yeah. And I don't really get it exactly, but apparently it was not in the script. Huh. It was a it was a thing that in between scenes, um, one of the projects Humphrey Bogart had was teaching Ingrid Bergman how to play poker. Oh. So that was their that was their hangout sessions in between. Um, Cute. And yeah, and and that was I don't know that was a quip he would say to her when she had a good hand or whatever. Oh, <laughs> nice cute. one, bro. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> it feels more like a nice one, bro, than an I love you. It feels weird. Yeah. And as far as I know, Humphrey Bogart didn't have a love affair with her. No, yeah. Which he did with Lauren Bacall. Yes. And who he married later. Yes, they were like one of the great romances of Hollywood. They stayed together till he died. I don't actually... thing. Yeah, I don't actually know if Humphrey Bogart had a thing with Ingrid Bergman or not. No, I don't think he did. But anyway, maybe not. This is the important history. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, is it not? You know? <laughs> sure. <laughs> but no, yeah. That, so, so basically, like, whatever that phrase is, it's something that Humphrey Bogart and Ingrid Bergman had a thing, and and, and I, it was a charming it was IRL. An inside so joke. so okay. get over it. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I just yeah, it just doesn't carry the emotional weight that I want it to. It took me out of the moment whenever he'd be like, "Here's looking at you, kid." It just kind of like. I just felt like you saying, pop goes the weasel. <laughs> Shim dam do. You know, it felt kind of dumb to me. It works when you're toasting. Yeah. But not when you're saying goodbye on an airstrip. Yeah. Well, it was their thing. It was their thing. Come Fine. here, babe. Pop goes the weasel. Shim <laughs> dam do. That's what it felt like to me. Like... Of course, as you wish is much better because it's a man telling a woman what she wants to hear. Ouch. <laughs> So but much a much more swoonable line as you wish uh-huh. <laughs> for reasons I have cited as you wish. Princess I mean, Bride, good movie. Hashtag I, I agree, Bride. babe. <laughs> Swoon. I, I I mean I feel the same way. Tell me that. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Called out, Princess Bride. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, great movie. Great movie. Anyway, anyway, um, so uh. Cool movie. I'm trying to think if there's any other. Oh, yeah. So maybe just what, what the history of this movie's release is that. So this movie, of course, man, they rush it so that it comes out right around the time that there's the famous Casablanca conference, which is the first big photo op where, where Winston it's Churchill. Actually in 1943. Yeah. But I mean, they got it out before that. It was premiered in 1942. So we're allowed to do it yes. on this podcast. No, it, it premiered <laughs> big... in New York City and had the, its limited release in November. Right around Thanksgiving, nineteen forty-two. So yeah. we good. Yeah. But anyway, it came out in time for the newspaper to have Franklin Roosevelt and and Winston Churchill having photo ops in Casablanca. Yeah. And um, and they, so they get it out then. And so this movie was a modest success. Mm-hmm. It was. It didn't necessarily stand out amid all the other pretty Hollywood classic era Hollywood movies. It was you know a modest success, and and then it unexpectedly cleaned up at the Oscars. Hmm. 
you know, one best picture. One... This is one of those that Hollywood loved more than the public loved. At first, yeah. Like, at first, you know, Hollywood, it was like, and I think maybe it was even a surprise at that Oscars. I don't know what Oscar predictions were I've, like back then. I but... think I've read that it's called like Hollywood's favorite movie. Yeah. And, you know, and, and they loved it at the time. It's almost like the anti-Citizen Kane in that it was a movie that, like, Hollywood ignored practically with Citizen Kane. But then this is a movie that, like, was almost helped be catapulted by the Oscars. Yeah, The fact that Hollywood loved this movie. And the other random tidbit is this is one of the... I don't know if this is... It's maybe a movie that would have survived anyway. But one random way this movie found a new audience was in the late 50s, where they would kind of do older Hollywood movie night in at Harvard. Hmm. At Harvard, like, and and they would have older movie night, and this was always the biggest hit mm. of those older movie night nights in the late fifties. Probably because it's a good date movie. Yeah, you know, <laughs> college kids, college kids, thanks for dudes and girls to like. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and, uh, shooting and kissing. Yeah, shooting, shooting and, and kissing, <laughs> and you know, if you have a husband, you know. Things are complicated. <laughs> <laughs> yes, perfect for the fifties. So like a fifty. So like it, so this became so this movie then became like a finals week. The screening of this movie became a finals week tradition at Harvard, and then other mm. universities were like, mm, "Seems like a cool way to make money." And so then, <laughs> then it became a college campus like thing, finals mm. week tradition sort of thing. Interesting. And then like and then of course pretty quickly and so then this movie was in you know stayed very much in the public consciousness and then TV comes along and it became a very easy movie to for people it was a movie that was on TV a bunch and then it kind of is the movie it is today. Yeah, it's rooted in everyone's consciousness forever. I mean, I don't know. I wonder a little bit if it's a movie that like uh how like now that we're deeper in the 21st century I'm like I'm like I hope it's not just film nerds who like this movie still. Like because yeah, it's know. it's a pretty accessible movie. Yeah, and you know that's to its credit because I was wondering before I watched it yesterday and today if it was going to be one of those that was like super topical at the time and that's why it was a big deal and it doesn't really hold up now because we're just not in that situation anymore and it's just a very quintessential 1940s movie and it just will ever be preserved in amber as an important 1940s movie but i was like no this is still great this somehow despite the fact that it's about a very specific political situation it's still a great watch and Mm -hmm. that's hard to pull off and it you happened. Need, you need kissing and shooting. That's what you need. Mm-hmm. <laughs> kissing, shooting, cucking. <laughs> uh, sophisticated hokum. Yes. That's, that's actually a line that, uh, that, so it was actually based, not to go into another further section of con- context, but like it's based on an unproduced play. Oh. That and and in this, you know, there's script readers who were finding these things to maybe make into movies and like with notes. And like apparently, the note that the script reader had was like approvingly said, like sophisticated hokum. Hmm. And that was what the play was considered. And in some ways, that's what the movie kind of is. What is hokum? Something gets hokey, I guess. Oh, ho- oh, <laughs> wow, interesting. Yeah. I love yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good movie. Yeah, great movie. Um, it's. I don't know what what the summary is other than, you know, it's a great popcorn movie from that's old. But it's a yeah. lot of dialogue. If you're if you're not it's patient talking. with dialogue, it's a ton of dialogue. But I love dialogue, so it was great. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, are we talking about what else we're consuming now? Do you have, yeah, uh, do you do have, have a final, final thought? thought? I, I, don't, I don't. I don't. I've said everything. We I We talked to say. about this movie. We already done did it. Yeah. yeah. Cool. cool. I mean, I've not been consuming a whole lot. I'm moving. <laughs> Yesterday, I watched a 45 minute art film called Music of Regret. It's got Meryl Streep and puppets. Hmm. Well. It's really weird. At the end, there's a stage show where they're auditioning different objects. They audition a gun who does a dance and shoots. Then they audition a house who dances. And then they audition a cupcake who dances. It's an interesting Deep. movie. <laughs> and, um, and then I watched Friday the 13th 6. Fun. It was Friday the 13th yesterday. I watched sure. it at the sidewalk bad movie night. It was terrific. They gave, they gave us shots beforehand. <laughs> and um, That's what they do. Rachel. That's what they do. They give you a shot and you can watch <laughs> You can watch a bad movie. And um, yeah, it was terrible and I loved it. Um, it's yeah. a very raucous time at sidewalk. Everybody screams and hollers like nice. and yells and heckles the screen and there's some good jokes from the audience sometimes and it's um <laughs> it's cool it's cool i highly recommend it and mostly i'm just tired and uh, and i'm moving yeah so, last ever episode recorded here yeah i i don't know it'll probably be more echoey <laughs> <laughs> at your new place at my new place so i apologize in advance maybe we won't have you know, a sick beat going in the background once in a while yeah. with my neighbors. So we'll see. So, you know, yeah, that's what's going on with me. Yeah, what am I consuming? Sure. My podcast life has come full circle. They don't really want me to use my Bluetooth headphones anymore at work. So I've kind of stopped with all my podcasts that live inside my phone, and I'm back to going to archives on the yeah. internet. And so I've started, I am behind on This American Life. And so I've started going through the This American Life archive again, backwards, starting with the newest one and going back till I'm caught. Have back you really to, heard all of them? No, I mean, I stopped at around 600. Okay, and Yeah, and so, the, and then, so now they're in the 760s or 770s. So I've started and I'm going backwards too until I hit where I've, they're familiar to me. And you this only was, have 160 or so yeah, episodes. Yeah, 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 yeah. 160 yeah. or so hours. Yes. <laughs> but podcasts. I mean, yes, but like that's how I got into podcasts was I was at this job that I'm still at where I was bored and having trouble focusing and needed something in my ears to keep me at my desk and keep my fingers on my keyboard. And so I went to thisamericanlife.com and went to the archive and just listened to all of them. I listened to all of them twice through back then. And I've been obsessed with podcasts ever since. And now here I am again, listening to This American Life again. Cool. And it's great. Cool. I have a podcast a mini series I'm listening to this week that I would recommend. Hmm? It's called Things Fell Apart. Although, as the host says it, and I will speak in his accent a lot, it gives me an excuse. It's things fell apart. Mm. Um, well, John Ronson. I love him. Oh, you know John Ronson? Yes. Okay, well, then this is an easy pitch for you. <laughs> things, it's, it's, it's like, things fell apart, strange tales from the culture war. Oh, of course he would be into that. So he's, it's basically he takes things that, are, that, that people are yelling about on the internet now and kind of traces their sort of 
decades ago origin and talks to the in people who were involved stuff like um you know one of the first textbook controversies in west virginia in the 70s we talked to the first person in recorded history to be publicly shamed on the yes. internet yes and uh he, he um the guy on usenet in the yeah. late 80s we got like something about like the satanism scare in the 80s yes. and and we're we eventually get into some QAnon stuff. He is so, so great. He's such a good reporter. Well, then this is an easy pitch for you. Yes. I, <laughs> I, I, I've been very much enjoying I'd never heard of John Ronson, although now I kind of like, huh. So he, he, he wrote like... He shows up on This American Life all the time. Yeah, it makes sense. So <laughs> he, his podcast miniseries, Things Fell Apart, Things Fell Apart, mm-hmm. I would recommend. I'm enjoying. And, you know, it's only like seven episodes and none of them are super long. I almost feel like some of them could be longer, but... They're only like 45 minutes, unlike this episode. Yeah. <laughs> um, any accountability things we want to talk uh, about? I mean, I, I'm still kind of assembling crew. I'm going a little slow because I kind of am at the point where I'm just trying to get people and who I'm going to have involved in the movie I'm making. Yeah. It's about people now. Get That's all I got. your crew. I had a record come out yep. um, May 1st. Uh, my band, AM Radio. Uh if you type in AM radio sweet wreath. Yeah, it comes right up. It comes right up. Sweet wreath is my label here in Birmingham. Experimental music. Very cool. I had a record come out. Uh, I'm going on tour um, in June. Uh, Boston all the way back to Birmingham. We have a show at Saturn on the 30th of June. Nice. It's going to be... A big old time, so that's what's going on with me. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. My child's very smart and very um, very witty and all kinds of trouble, and I guess I take credit for that. She, uh, <laughs> you can yeah, take some. She, she will correct you about um, thing, animal facts. Recently, she was pretending to be a cheetah, and Eric was desperately trying to get her to take a nap. And he was like, maybe you should hibernate. And she was like, cheetahs don't hibernate, Dad. (laughs) (laughs) So, (laughs) yeah, she's she's Mrs. Animal Facts right now, and I love it. So that's good good thing for a little kid to be yeah good children yeah (laughs) nice parenting (laughs) so we are uh next week or next month next episode we are again i think for our 50s episode i think we are again uh well maybe not 50s last year we're gonna i think leave america next i think maybe again we'll see that's our tease interesting so what a tease (laughs) yep are we done? Are we going to roll the music? Yeah, we're doing it. So thanks for listening to our... Watch the movie Casablanca if you haven't. I mean, come on. Yeah. Good game, everybody. Yeah.